This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, and it's your uh, resourceful local ER MacGyver, Dr. Ward. And welcome back, guys. Hopefully you've been enjoying your summer. We took a brief break. Ward, did you do anything exciting for the recent holiday? I did. I worked. Woo! Overnight. (laughs) And uh, if you're in San Francisco for 4th of July... Don't watch fireworks because we have a thing called fog. I don't know. It's about like 20 feet off, feet off the ground. So all you will see are colored clouds. Hope everybody had a wonderful 4th of July and got to grill and explode things and spend it with friends and family. Once again, it is time for our bi-monthly journal club. Yay! Woo-hoo. Fireworks, fireworks. Fireworks, fireworks. It's been a while since we have done one of these actually let a few episodes go by just because i hadn't had a chance to peruse the journals for all the news that's fit to use while you were doing that science is progressing yes yes so let's see what new sort of things will grant us health independence in the days to come i have to say one of the most common injuries i usually see immediately after every holiday i usually associate it with christmas but fourth of july is a big one too is heart failure Um, Oh, yes. Mostly from people not being compliant with their diets because holiday food is delicious. And, you know, 
they just discount it. But in this first new study, in heart failure, usually what happens is your heart gets overloaded, it's not an effective pump, and it becomes leaky. And that leakiness leads to you getting fluid in your lungs or your legs, you swell up, you have difficulty breathing, the heart has to work harder to do the same amount of work, and it could lead into another heart attack. It also could be a result of a previous heart attack where your heart no longer is working as well because you had a heart attack. So you can get hit coming and going. Right. And the Thanksgiving meal of uh, turkey with gravy probably didn't help. Yeah. Or a 4th of July meal of multiple burgers and hot dogs and barbecue chicken and baby back ribs. Oh, that does sound good. Right? Heart failure totally worth it. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but, <laughs> but I understand. Right. So in this first study, injecting new heart cells improves recovery from heart attacks and heart failure. Uh, so this was a study done in Nature Biotechnology that was just released that showed that uh, at the University of Washington, Charles Murray was working with his colleagues, wondering if injecting brand new muscle cells directly into the heart helps it recover after a heart attack. And at least in monkeys, that's true. So when they're talking about injecting brand new cells, remember last week we were talking about Pulp Fiction and jamming that needle straight into the heart. Well, now imagine right. instead of using some kind of MacGuffin, which wouldn't really actually work, uh, you just inject heart cells straight into the heart. Oh yeah, it'll be a it'll be a slower version of Pulp Fiction. You go straight down into the heart, inject uh, the stem cells, and twenty eight days later, yes. you're better. Something like that. So in order to test this theory about whether heart cells injected would have a chance to improve, they took new heart muscle cells cultured from embryonic stem cells and injected them into the hearts of six macaques, which are large monkeys that have similar hearts to humans. These monkeys all had heart attacks induced. I don't know how they did it, if they gave them a bunch of junk food, if they gave them a good scare if they gave them other drugs, but six different monkeys who had had heart attacks and two weeks after they had the heart attack, when your ejection fraction or how effective your heart is as a pump would be, you know, still not quite recovered, they injected new heart muscle cells and began to follow the monkeys week to week. After three months, the monkeys who had been given the new heart cells had a 23% higher ejection fraction than those treated with a sham or a placebo. So in humans, that would mean the difference from being unable to walk more than a few blocks to the grocery store to living a normal life in terms of ejection fraction. Oh, yeah. In humans, it could mean uh, dying and not dying. Yeah. Now, 23%, that's a big deal. Now, to briefly talk about ejection fraction, your heart is not ever ejecting 100%. What that means is when new blood comes into the heart, it contracts and pushes it out, sends it to the lungs to get oxygenated. It goes back into the next chamber of the heart and then gets pumped out to the rest of the body to provide it with all the different healthy, oxygen-rich blood. You're never getting a full 100%. Most people are working somewhere between 60 to 70% if they're normal. Right. Um, 
after a heart attack, you could go down as low as 20%. You may only drop down to 40%. But you imagine if you're working at somewhere around 60 or 70 and you go to 20, that's a huge crimp in your lifestyle. Well, in fact, um, in human beings after a heart attack, when that ejection fraction goes down, when there's a scar in that portion of the heart that was knocked out by the heart attack, it usually doesn't come back. And treatment is really supportive and to make sure that everything else compensates for this loss. But that that pump, that heart, does not go back to the same way it was. Right. You never get up as high as the original watermark, although you can recover some function with cardiac rehab. Right. So, but this is amazing that if they can regrow that dead patch of uh, that dead patch of muscle wall in a heart, that's something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Right. Now, five of the animals tolerated the treatment very well. One, however, developed an arrhythmia or an abnormal heart rhythm. This was transient, but that could potentially be dangerous in human patients. So that's the most concerning side effect. You don't want to cure somebody from a heart attack and then give them a permanent arrhythmia. That could later cause a stroke or a future heart attack. I, I'm sure they they are still trying to you know, smooth out the procedure and figure out how to how to you know optimize it and make it so you get the benefits without the side effects. Right now, other groups have experimented by using cardiac stem cells, bone marrow stem cells, and umbilical cord stem cells, and all of these do also still improve the heart pumping capacity or ejection fraction but not quite to the same extent as the ones derived from embryos. So all of these are good treatments, but it seems like really taking those, what they're called pluripotent stem cells, meaning they can become anything as opposed to organ-specific stem cells that are much more limited in how far they can specialize. Murray and his colleagues are planning to advance to human trials in early 2020. So we're still two years out before this even gets to the testing phase in humans. So hopefully they'll have all the kinks worked out by then. Yeah, the embryonic cells are doing amazing things nowadays. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, in Hocus Pocus, where the older witches are like kind of taking youth away from a young, young little girl. This is kind of like a, a, a molecular, a molecular uh, version of that. First off, that's a great Hocus Pocus reference. I think we've covered in the past a study that talked about how taking blood from young mice and giving it to old mice actually euthened them in some ways. This isn't going to be quite as good. Oh, the mice hocus pocus. Moving on. So now that we've talked about science and biotechnology, let's move a little bit deeper into the technology end of that and move on to our next story. Ward, how much do you know about nanobots? They're teeny cute little robots that are the size of like a hundredth of a grain of rice. And medical nanobots have a lot of potential great applications. They can be used as uh, antibiotic. Well, we theorize. We don't have a definite working process for them yet. But they can be used to repair things like scarred hearts or broken bones. They could be used to fight bacteria without worrying about bacteria developing Mm -hmm. resistance. They can be used to hunt down cancer cells or clean out toxins from the body. And toxins is a very nebulous term. But in this case, I think we can get away with it. Sure, that sounds great. Because before that, you know, to to treat toxins, one of the common ways to treat toxic uh, exposures is to do dialysis. You actually have to take stuff out of your body 
get it cleaned up, right. put it back in. It would be great if we can put the real something into your body without taking it out. Has been less about some things you can't take well, out of the body. What can we build to get it in the body? Then, well, how do we steer it to where we want it to go? Because otherwise, you know, you can't really give every single one a tiny little remote control like an RC car. That's just not practical and very expensive. Sure, and right. I think you probably so want it to. You want to make sure that they don't go places UC where you don't San Diego want to go has developed of ultrasound-powered robots that can scrub blood clean of bacteria and the toxins produced by bacteria. So this is a proof-of-concept study that could pave the way towards rapidly decontaminating biological fluids in the bodies of living Ah, uh, so like teeny little scalpels where Dr. Susanna's scalpels can't reach. Gold robots coated with platelet and red blood cell membranes. So this hybrid is what lets the nanites clear out the biological contaminants. The platelet part binds to a pathogen like a antibiotic-resistant strain of Staph aureus, or MRSA, while the red blood cell membrane can absorb and neutralize any toxins produced by the bacteria. Oh, so it's two punches in one in dealing with Staph aureus. And it's using your body's own mechanisms. And that tiny little frame of gold inside the platelet red blood cell coating is what lets researchers move the bots around because the metal responds to ultrasound, which gives the team the way to power them through the bloodstream without using fuel or engines. Huh, that's interesting. If it's in the bloodstream, it would move around by arterial blood anyways, right? But this is a way to direct it where maybe to a place where... It, it's not where the natural flow goes. but You can kind of set up a sound barrier that forces the nanobots back in the direction that prevents them from leaving the area of infection or contamination. So you can steer them around even as the rest of blood just carries on its merry way. Um, and again, these natural membranes uh, also prevent something from being biofoul. Proteins kind of cake onto and build up on the surface of a foreign body and eventually cluster around it so much that the cell or the nanobot wouldn't be able to function. So they created these hybrid membranes by taking pieces from platelets and red blood cells, then blasting them with sound waves and forcing them to fuse mm -hmm. together. So there's no way to get, you know, all this extra biofoul proteins to build up on it because there's nowhere for them to attach to. They're too big. That's complicated stuff. <laughs> yeah. So the finished devices are about 25 times smaller than a hair, and ultrasounds can send them up to 35 micrometers per sec. So in a test, they were successful in cleaning blood samples contaminated with MRSA and toxins. After five minutes of being injected, the levels of bacteria and toxins were three times lower in treated samples than untreated samples. That's pretty good. And it sounds like this is a proof of concept study right now at this point, right? It's We're not ready to use it in human bodies yet. I can't imagine other issues like how to get, get it out of the body. You don't want a bunch of gold nanobots running in your body indefinitely uh, and how to, how to direct it away from sensitive organs and not clot up cause strokes, heart attacks, things like that. Can you imagine you'd have to take like a little ultrasound pen and steer it all the way down to your bladder and then you can, you know, urinate out some nanobots. So I, I don't think we're going to see this anytime soon. And not to mention, they also were 
they only developed this originally to treat MRSA, but they, ideally they want something that can detoxify all kinds of biological fluids. So the next step is to test the device in live animal models and then figure a way to create robot Ooh, bodies out of biodegradable materials too. instead of... That sounds like it would be... So you can just leave them in there instead of having to force them out. That's kind of our most technological and most biological stories. Now let's go to a couple different ones, which science in general, popular science and popular medicine, love the idea of forcing things into pills. Take a pill for this, a pill for that, one pill, two pill, red pill, blue pill. Let's get everything in a easy, chewable Flintstone vitamin type form. So our next couple stories are all going to deal with pill type ones and one of them which i gotta tell you i like the concept but i think they're getting a little hyperbolic in the title of the paper surgery in a pill mimics weight loss benefits of gastric bypass surgery in a pill that sounds painful yeah surgery in a pill makes me think of that movie fantastic journey or even ant-man and the wasp where they shrink down to tiny size and then go through and cut stuff up that makes me think of the nanobots we just talked about, but it isn't, is it? Researchers at Harvard Medical School have developed an oral treatment that delivers many of the same weight loss benefits associated previously only with invasive procedures such as the lap band or gastric bypass surgery. It's essentially a gut coating medication that you take before each meal that prevents sugar and other nutrients in food from being absorbed by the intestines. So you swallow the pill, it releases something that coats your whole stomach so food doesn't get absorbed, and then you eat, but you're just like throwing food down that you're not going to be making use of. To be fair, uh, that is a lot more pleasant than having a lap band or having a full rule and why gastric bypass. Oh, it's a lot more pleasant, a lot less risky, and has a whole host of benefits. But calling it surgery in a pill, I think, oversells it just a touch. I'll give you that. So take the idea is you want to offer the same benefits of bariatric weight loss surgery with a lower risk and a lower cost. And in a couple hours, the effects of the pill dissipate. Now, in order to coat your entire stomach and intestine, which is truthfully, the majority of your food and nutrients get absorbed in your small intestine. Your stomach starts the process of breaking the food down with stomach acid. There's not really a lot absorbed there. Then your small intestine takes out all the nutrients through segments called villi. And by the time you get to your large intestine, you're kind of taking the denutriented food and sucking water out of it and that's how you get stool it that's a very simplified version of how your gut works when coupled with exercise and a healthy diet weight loss surgery has been found to be remarkably effective in reducing a person's excess body weight now ward have you ever treated gastric band patients or gastric bypass patients i have and unfortunately i i probably get a skewed view of more on the complication side of gastric bypass and gastric bands because they can, you know, if they're doing well, they wouldn't be seeing me in the emergency department. Uh, but uh, complications from gastric bypass and gastric banding are range from just a little bit of discomfort to oh, life-threatening emergencies like 
uh, perforated ulcers, internal hernias, blockage. In this case, according to the researchers at Harvard, the transient coating has so far only been tested on rats because that's where we start. And the rodents' blood sugar levels in the ones who had taken this bypass pill were 47% lower than in rats without the treatment. So this shows that even though the rats were fed the same diets, the calories simply weren't being taken up. So this is a little bit more than proof of concept. It's already at the animal testing stage, but a rat's digestive tract is a lot smaller than a human's. So like I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how large a pill is going to have to be or how many you'd have to take to coat your entire digestive tract. Right. And it looks like they're using a, an ingredient that we already use for ulcers, uh, sucrophate, right? And that ingredient comes, it can come in a liquid form. So maybe it's just a, you know, you drink as appetizing as it sounds. You're, that's your aperitif. It's, <laughs> here's a cup of ca- sucrophate, and then you don't digest these, you know, steak and potatoes that you eat mm. 30 minutes later. Although it does make me wonder, where does all that nutrient go? Does, you know, like you, like you just said, uh, your stomach starts digesting, breaking apart the amino acids and complex sugars down into more basic components, and your small intestines absorbs all the, 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 the nutrients. And when, by the time it gets down to the large intestine, it's right. primarily denutriated poop, right? But what if by the time you get into the large intestine, it's still, there's well, still nutrients like around. Bypass, Are there complications you end up having that? much more frequent and much looser bowel movements because none of those were absorbed. Right. Which I know it sounds uh, funny, folks, but that's the syndrome. actual name, dumping syndrome. That Since sucrophate is, is already FDA approved, the enrolling process for clinical trials should run a lot more smoothly. Haha. <laughs> like if it runs chunky, call your doctor. Pepto-Bismol as an amuse-bouche <laughs> before every meal. If it means that I'm not going to put on the pounds and I'm not going to you know, worsen my diabetes or going to ID. Uh, It's not a weight loss yeah, in the sense not? that everyone who needs to lose like five or six pounds should start taking this. These are going to be aimed at helping people avoid what is a very intensive series of surgical procedures that often have, while effective, often have time-limited results. You know, a lot of people who are on gastric bypass or lap bands, unless they stay very, very adherent to the diet, they don't always keep off all the way that they lost, even with surgery. And you know what? How bad can that medicine well, be? We'll it's s- some of the molecular yeah, maybe molecular we'll gastronomy seeing, you know, stuff looks pretty horrible anyway. I'll take it. So now, the next pill is one of the holy grails of drug delivery. We cover this so many times in so many journal clubs and other stories. But scientists have now come mighty close to delivering insulin in a pill. This is a huge claim, if true, because how many times have we covered the new artificial pancreas or whatever is taking that title in the headlines of the day? Well, we've we've had a few articles about things that sound promising, but so far, uh, nothing actually showed up yet. That's 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 ready for big time. So for decades, scientists have been looking for what is essentially a holy grail for diabetes. How do you give protein and peptide drugs like insulin by mouth instead of by injection? And Harvard researchers, once again, good week for Harvard, has made a huge stride forward by figuring out how to carry insulin in a ionic liquid 
that prevents stomach enzymes from breaking down the drug. This means it more closely mimics the way in which the pancreas makes and delivers insulin to the liver because the pancreas gets to bypass the highway and come in after the stomach has done its work. So if you can get an insulin pill that can clear the stomach, you've now taken one step forward to, you know, having an external pancreas. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, one of the biggest barriers to people, uh, diabetics being able to control their blood sugar is, well, one, they, the need to constantly check their blood sugar. And the second is um, these insulin shots. The closest thing right now that's that makes the uh, quality of life better for our diabetic patients is the continuous insulin pump where you at least you have a pump and it's you know you only have to stick yourself you know it goes under your skin once and it's right. it sits there for you know so weeks at a time. Previously, they've tried coating it in protective polymers uh, or protein coats. They've put in additives to minimize breakdown by enzymes or to enhance the absorption of what does clear the stomach. But so far, nothing has worked. So meet Professor Mitra Gotri and colleagues went a different route, and they took an insulin ionic liquid formation and an enteric coating, so a barrier that prevents the medication dissolving or disintegrating in the very acidic environment of the stomach. And this liquid is composed of choline and hyaluronic acid, which is easy and cheap to manufacture and biocompatible, so no false or unnatural additives. It can be stored for up to two months without degrading, which is longer than the shelf life of some of the currently injectable formulations of insulin. So you could travel with this. Once it makes its way to the small intestine, the small intestine is much more alkaline or basic than the stomach. Haha. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, good to join you guys. How's it, what are we just talking about today? Hey Sandman. Well, we are just talking about insulin in a pill. Oh yeah, wow. Well, that's certainly a step forward. All right, please continue. Let's see. So once, once this pill makes its way to the small intestine where the environment is more basic, the liquid carrying the insulin would then break down and be released because the coating which is designed to protect from an acid environment, would fall apart in a basic one. So the implications of this work could be huge because if it's successful, the approach could be applied to a lot of other proteins besides insulin. So this is like a Swiss army knife where you have tools for addressing every obstacle. Yeah, and it's not a new concept for enteric-coated medications. Uh, right now we use enteric-coated medications that sometimes can irritate the stomach by coating it uh, in a way where it doesn't dissolve in the acidic environment in the stomach, and it only gets released uh, after it goes into the small intestine. Aspirin is one such example because it has a tendency to upset the stomach. On the other hand, I, the technology is not quite there yet to protect a delicate peptide like insulin. Right. And even with something like aspirin, you're just trying to minimize the side effects, but you know that it is going to start being down into pieces small enough that the small intestine can then absorb it. So, because medicines, you want to get, you know, everything, ultimately you want to get into the bloodstream, but you have your tiny little acid factory to break all of it down. So it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. And in the future, they want to conduct more animal tests to determine the long-term toxicology effects. And if that happens, again, 
All the key ingredients of the liquids are considered safe. Choline is a vitamin-like nutrient, and geronic acid occurs naturally in cardamom and lemongrass, and it's a pretty widely used food additive. So human trials will probably gain approval pretty fast once they make it past the toxic studies in animals. Uh, this is really going to change the way um, we treat diabetes these days. I, you guys probably already mentioned this already, but I mean, you can barely even think about treating people with insulin without having to give them some form of injection. So this is definitely... Yeah, I have to say, I don't think there's a single field of medicine right now that hasn't had to figure out some kind of way to deal with diabetes and diabetic patients, because it really reaches its sticky little fingers into every nook and cranny of the healthcare world. And in fact, not just the healthcare world, into the nature world, because the last story, and my personal favorite, is one about another substance that could be used for treating type 2 diabetes that comes from nature. And one of the newest ones, and it's not really a new substance, but it's a new form of it found in your local platypus. Oh, the lo- I mean, the local platypus. Yeah, local. I guess if you live in Australia. <laughs> well, it's got the it's got the bill of a duck and the tail of an otter. You know, it's, they took all these different leftover parts from other animals, and uh, aren't Platypi also marsupials? No, I think you're right, yeah. Do they hang upside down in trees? Or just kidding. I think that's vampires, you're thinking. Okay, fair. <laughs> the platypus, which is only found in Australia, it's one of only five mammal species that lay eggs instead of giving birth to live young. Oh, that means it's not a marsupial then, because marsupials nurse their young wow. in a pouch. You're right. You're right. Because it's not a live birth that's nursed, it's a monotreme, not a marsupial. Also, the platypus, which you may not be aware of, is venomous. I was aware of that. What? Uh, Well, in fact, a a platypus sting uh, to an extremity is described as one of the most painful things uh, anyone can go through. And there is not a really good way to cure it. Except, you know, uh, some literature say that the only way to provide any relief is to give a temporary nerve block oh, good. to I that you were region. Gonna say, I thought you were going to say pee on it. And I it can tell you, so stop painful. peeing on things to block pain. It doesn't work. <laughs> Peeing on it is almost never the right answer <laughs> in emergency medicine. Almost never the right answer. Keyword almost. If your hand is on fire and nothing else is available, applies. yes, pee on it. But otherwise... If her hand feels like it's on fire from a platypus sting, <laughs> that they have a very complicated uh, 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 toxin that does not respond well to treatment. And really, one of the few the ways to treat it is to do is, a nerve what block. were you doing that caused you to get stung by a platypus? <laughs> uh, no comment. Well, I don't know. It's, so that's... <laughs> I, they don't. They don't. They don't list that in the. Uh, they don't list that in the case studies, or you know, I didn't pay attention to the case study. But they do have a spur in, in their back legs, so if anyone comes close to it and it feels threatened or tries to pick it up, a common in, or not an uncommon injury is to, to get spur. stung in the hand. A bunch of researchers from the oh, University spur. of Adelaide, Australia, oh. and a bunch of researchers looked at the platypus genome, which had been sequenced in two thousand eight and found in the venom and gut of the platypus a key metabolic hormone that has the potential to treat type 2 diabetes. 
Wow. Um, what kind of homeowner protein was this? Well, it's actually one that we're all very familiar with in the medical world. And the wow. reason it's called um, GLP-1. Kind of we commonly use a modified form of this in humans called exenatide to treat diabetes. Now, it's interesting because normally it's secreted, this GLP-1 is secreted in both human and animal guts and stimulates the release of insulin from the pancreas to lower the glucose in the blood. Now, in platypi, they have a massive loss of genes in the areas important for digestion and metabolic control. These animals basically lack a functional stomach. So platypus GLP is very different from its other types, probably because of its venomous function. So it doesn't degrade as quickly as the type found in humans, which means it could be a more effective treatment option. That's interesting. So they found this, they found this potential therapeutic protein by using genomics. It's not like the old fashioned trial and error where someone got stung by a platypus and, oh, hey, my diabetes got better. They, they actually uh, used, sequenced the genomes and found that this peptide should, yes. so based on GLP-1 computer models, work. And, ex- and by extension, exenatide do, it's, it's got about five different functions. The first basically. is it increases the response of the pancreas, meaning stimulates more insulin secretion in response to meals. So you make more use of any glucose that you absorb more glucose that your body brings in. Second, it suppresses the release of glucagon, which stops the liver from overproducing sugar when it's unneeded. Meaning if you're already absorbing a lot of sugar from your diet, your liver doesn't have to break down its sugar stores. Third, It slows down gastric emptying and therefore increases the amount of time meal-derived glucose stays in your bloodstream. Fourth, it has a a very subtle but prolonged ability to reduce appetite, giving you a feeling of fullness. So people on exenatide tend to lose weight slowly, and the greatest weight loss is achieved by people who are the most overweight at the beginning of therapy. Um, but you get some weight reducing effect for about the first two years of continued use before it levels off. And then finally, it reduces fat content in the liver, which helps give some protection against non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So all of these are done longer and in a slightly better fashion by the platypus because it lacks a truly functional digestive system. It's not the first time a poison has been used for therapeutic uses uh, in medicine, is it? ACE inhibitors came from snake venom. Really? ACE inhibitors came from snakes? Yeah, and I think our uh, anesthesia, in anesthesia, when you guys use the paralytic drugs, that came from poison frogs. Really? The QRAs? And that, wow, I learned something new there as well. Uh, now, uh, granted, this hormone has just been identified as being useful and needs to go through testing and clinical trials, and it also has to be produced synthetically as platypi are near threatened, not quite on the endangered species yet, but if people start like kind of hunting them down and putting pressure on their wild populations to make a diabetes drug, they could be endangered real quick. Yeah, I don't think they can make enough spur poison to, 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 to make drugs. Yeah, <laughs> to treat all the diabetics in the world, yeah, they need a lot of platypi. Platypi farm, that would be adorable and horrifying at the same time. <laughs> And that's it for this week's journal articles. 
but for just the tip, I mentioned last week that I was off on my way to Belize, and I got to see a whole bunch of things. Now, guys, I don't know if either of you have had the chance to make it down to Belize in Central America before. I learned quite a lot. The first being that Belize, the primary language spoken there is English, and that's because Belize is formerly the territory known as British Honduras. Really? Only gains their independence, I, I want to say, in 1981, so in our lifetimes. British Honduras. Oh, your lifetime. Is that millennial shaming? Jesus. I went to the Belize Night Zoo, <laughs> where I saw a high-five a jaguar. I got to feed a tapir, which is the national animal of Belize. It looks like a boar with an elephant nose there. So I got to hand-roll my own chocolate from cocoa beans. And let me tell you, that's hard work. I went to the Ajaw Chocolate Plantation or Cacao Plantation, and they set us up with a mortar and pestle and beans, and we had to hand grind our own hot chocolate or our own chocolate powder. And um, now I know why the Mayans only used it in rituals and didn't just like walk around munching on chocolate bars all day. Hershey's so, didn't exist back then. Very lucky. <laughs> and then I spent a few days on the island of San Pedro, which was the hmm. inspiration for the Madonna song, La Isla Bonita. I'm in a millennial shame. Yeah, I don't know that one. I know right? That. Too young. Come on, that's a classic <laughs> 80s song. Well, fine. It's a great uh, snorkeling place. It Maybe has I just the second don't know that largest one. barrier reef in the world after Australia. And because it's less of a tourist attraction, um, or a less well-known tourist attraction than Australia's, you actually get a chance to see a lot more fish and interact with the animals in a little bit more closer up than you might in Australia, where you don't have to worry about everything trying to poison you. So if you make it out to Belize, I definitely recommend a trip to San Pedro. And you can also check out the Belize food tours there, which take you to like seven different stops on the island and feed you insane amounts of food. Belizean food is very similar to a lot of Central American food. There's tortillas, there's rice dishes. They also love their hot sauce. There's like 30 different kinds of hot sauce, grapefruit pulp, orange pulp, coma level hot sauce. That's just called beware. And that's accurate. That wraps it up for us. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you would like to know anything more about the stories we talked about today, all of the sources will be in the show notes. This show is produced with a lot of help from all our co-hosts. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Ledger. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes. Or you can shoot us comments on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you find your podcasts. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Happy travels, everyone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.